now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From class to cults, all the cheese in between. The movies are B, but the entertainment is grade A. And I'm your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti. And I'm joined once again by my friend, Mr. John LeMay. John, welcome. Hey, Jason. Thanks. I, I always love coming on your show, and I appreciate you having me. Oh, we love having you here. So today, folks, we're going to talk about Dracula, A.D., 1972. And we'll get to it right after this. Yesterday, Dracula was the most fearsome being the screen has ever seen. Today, tonight, you, you, you could be Dracula's next victim. Something new, yet as old as time. Come on, Johnny. A date with the devil. Are you ready? He's ready. He's waiting to freak you out. Right out of this world. Died September the 18th, 1872. A hundred years ago to the day. it must swear before the name of the devil to keep it secret who knows about vampires for god's sake my grandfather died fighting a vampire the most terrible the most dangerous vampire of all time the year is 1972 a leap year in horror a vintage year for vampires of horror to meet again in the 20th century. Come to me, come back. 
1972 was released September 28, 1972, with a 96 minute running time. Your director is Alan Gibson. Now, Alan Gibson uh, was a, uh, he passed away in 1987. He was born in 38. Uh, he actually also uh, directed The Satanic Rites of Dracula, which is the follow up to this, um, Journey into Midnight, and then he did uh, Witness for the Protection and A Woman Called Golda, um, which was uh, starring Ingrid Bergman. Uh, your producers are uh, Michael Harris, of course, and Josephine Douglas. Uh, your writer is Don Hutton. Don Hutton uh, did a lot of uh, British television screenwriting and uh, um, uh, producer work. He actually also is uh, part of Satanic Rites of Dracula and The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires and Shatter, which they did for Hammer as well. Your um, music is Michael Vickers. Uh, your production company is Hammer Film Productions. And your distribution was done by Columbia uh, Warner Distribution. Your stars here, again, well, let's face it, the main two stars in this movie are uh, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. And that's significant because this is the seventh Hammer film that features Dracula and the sixth one of them to star Christopher Lee in the title role. Because remember, uh, Brides of Dracula, you have you don't really have Dracula. It says Dracula, but it's not really Dracula. It's the, uh, the prince, right? I forgot what the prince's name was, but... Baron Meister. Uh, Yes, exactly. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, you know, the uh, um, but this is also the return of Van Hel- uh, Peter Cushing as Van Helsing since Brides of Dracula in 1960. Um, and this is the first time the, the first one to feature both Lee and Cushing together since the original horror of Dracula, a.k.a. Dracula, 1958. Um, and this actually is the uh, the second to last of the Drac- Hammer Draculas with Satanic Rites of Dracula following it also set in a modern setting. This is why this one is so different. Uh, the the thing is, people think sometimes, they think of like uh, Hammer movies, they think of Dracula, and they always think of Christopher Lee, which because he then he portrayed Dracula many times for them. Uh, but, you know, with um, as Van Helsing, it was only, you know, we kind of get in your mind that like, well, Peter Cushing's Van Helsing, but he wasn't in the other movies with Christopher Lee. Uh, but we think more of, obviously, uh, Peter Cushing as the Baron, you know, Baron, Baron Frankenstein from the Frankenstein movies, where he reprised that role numerous times. So, all right. So let's get rolling into, into the story. Okay, so in, in 1872, Count Dracula and his nemesis, Lawrence Van Helsing, are battling on the top of a runaway stagecoach. The carriage crashes and Dracula is partly impaled on one of the wheels. Uh, In the ensuing struggle, Van Helsing manages to fully push the wheel into Dracula's chest, staking him. All right. So this scene, uh, and again, I just, you know, uh, for those people who maybe have not seen this movie in a long time, this, the opening, features one of the most famous scenes from this movie, which is the scene of, uh, um, of, uh, obviously... The struggle with the the, ha- the half of the wagon wheel stuck into uh, Dracula's chest, and a lot of people uh, 
misremember that as the actual end of the movie, which of course it's not. Uh, it's the beginning of the movie. Uh, but that's that actually is one of the most famous um, images from this film. When you look up like Dracula eighty and eight seventy two, a lot of times you'll see that image because it's so it's because it, it's I'm say it's it's not weird. It's it's striking for sure, but it's definitely different having the wagon wheel kind of like partially impaled in Christopher Lee's chest as Peter Cushing's pushing on it. Um, I don't think I've seen that anywhere else, uh, you know, before or after. I don't, I mean, you, you think so, John? I mean, is that something we've seen before? A wagon wheel used to impale Dracula? No, and I think I know why some people think it must be the ending of the movie is just because that scene is so much more fantastic than the actual ending. And that's a lot of people <laughs> cite that as a problem because that opening is just so cool that the rest of the movie doesn't necessarily live up to it for most people. Yeah. And, and, and you know what the thing is? I mean, they, they took a real chance when they make this. And, and you'll see what we mean in a second, folks, because once this scene ends, um, I, well, okay, Van Helsing then collapses and dies from the wounds he suffered after he's killed Dracula. And literally, we then jump to modern day. And it's like, it's, it's kind of jarring because you clearly can tell that's not modern day when Van Helsing and Dracula are on the carriage fighting. And now you jump to what the, there's the airplane. There's, it's clearly the seventies. And if you weren't sure it's the seventies, oh boy, is it the seventies? It's right there. Um, so, uh, it's okay. So, um, well, tech, okay. I shouldn't say, I, I jumped over something. I'm going to go back. So, at the, uh, as, as that happens, a follower of Dracula, uh, who's played by uh, Christopher Nami, arrives, collects Dracula's remains, and a few days later buries them near Van Helsing's grave at uh, St. Barlamoff's uh, church. I've, I did omit that part. We didn't get to modern day yet. He picked up all the ashes and put them there. Sorry, folks. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, in the opening, and then this opening is is great. I mean, it's 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 a powerful opening. Hammer would do that every once in a while, give you that real hot open, as we would say for wrestling. You know, you give them a hot open and you know, kind of go from there, and it works really well. I think that you know, if if the movie would have gone on to be a period piece, um, it would have just fallen in line with the other ones at the time. But I really think that that pops. It, it definitely stands out as being very different when you think about what happens in the rest of the film. And I, I just want to say, for me, when I was a kid and I first saw that movie when I was 13, that opening was so hyped up. I think it actually carried me through the rest of the movie, even though I can admit mm-hmm. it's not that great. Like, it's still one of my favorite Hammer Dracula films. And I think that, mm-hmm. again, that opening just hyped me up so much that it lasted the entire movie. Yeah. And the thing is this, is that, you know, the um, certain Hammer, like Horror of Dracula and Prince of Darkness, um, and even... Um, uh, Dracula's Risen from the Grave, those have gotten a lot more play over the years uh, just because of distribution rights and who owns the rights to whatever in Colombia and, you know, just different things. Those are the ones that have always gotten a lot more play, um, especially just horror of Dracula being so influential uh, into what it caused, uh, just the change in horror that that movie and, and Curse of Frankenstein. I shouldn't, you know, dis, you know, disvalue Curse of Frankenstein. Those two movies were so influential in influencing what we got uh, especially from Hammer and what we got from eventually, you know, studios like Amicus and other studios and even what we saw in America uh, from horror movies, the way things changed, uh, that I think sometimes when the ones that are kind of like kind of not the same, I'm going to say I don't want to say lost. I want to say the ones that are kind of not as prevalent because for a long time, I mean, for a long, long time, the scars of Dracula, there was a VHS of it and there was never even a DVD. You could get every other one except that one for some unknown reason. And now, 
uh, the that now that uh, obviously with Blu-rays and digital and stuff, a lot of the things have become available. But even Satanic Rites, um, the full version of Satanic Rites, not the the Alpha Video cheapo cut-up version, um, and even uh, 72 AD, um, those both are limited. Those are the the not print on demand, but they're the um, archive Warner Archive editions. So they themselves cost sometimes individually on Blu-ray more than four Hammer movies together. Uh-huh. And it's weird how that happens, though. You know what I'm saying? I always say to my dad, I said, I always wonder, because dad always say, I wonder why this movie's not on Blu-ray. I wonder why this movie's not available. And I go, I guarantee you someone owns one piece of one scene and they're holding it up, hmm. you know, or whatever. And that comes up a lot with, like, uh, like I would say bigger, more famous movies from back in, like, even like the, the the 30s and stuff like that, you're like, man, how is this movie not available? Yeah. How is this not available? And it's because it was owned by this company and this company split. But what whose heir now owns the rights to you know this person's likeness and they don't want it on screen and oh, you you know what I'm talking about oh, all yeah, those <laughs> all that legal ramification stuff that is like literally there's money to be made, folks. But you know they'd rather fight they'd rather fight over pennies than you know put dollars in their pockets. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So now that we are in modern day, uh, a century later, Jessica Van Helsing, who is uh, Stephanie Beckman, is the granddaughter of occult uh, expert Lorimer Van Helsing, also played by Cushing, and uh, descendant of Dracula's old nemesis, and Johnny Alucard, who is also played by Niemi who was also played the, the follower previously, um, who closely resembles Dracula's disciple from 1972, are among a group of young... And now they put hippies. I don't know if hippies is the right word here. Would that be... I don't know if they're hippies. Are they hippies? I, I don't know. They, I know that a lot of people say that this movie was dated like as it was written, you know, like it was dated <laughs> before it even came out. So maybe that's why <laughs> we don't know what to call them exactly. I mean, I don't know, like, I mean, is beatniks a right right word, maybe? Awesome. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying is, I'm looking at this going, I don't know. I mean, I. so for those uh, people who are like, what's, what's the big problem? If you, th- if you talk about hippies in America, you're talking about, like, long-haired, smoking pot, like, you know, grateful dead, peace-loving, whatever. Now, I mean, they have some of those things in there, but the party they're, the party they're at, I don't know if that's a like a hippie loving that kind of seemed like a little more like there's a little more angst to it than that <laughs> if you know what i mean yeah. so i don't know they're 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 i don't know it's i don't pretend to understand everything that obviously was happening you know years before i was born let alone in another country let alone written by a bunch of people who were i mean let's face it it wasn't like your writer was somebody who was like in their 20s. This is probably somebody who in their 50s or 60s writing this thing like, that's what kids do, let's write that down, you know, kind of thing. It's like when you say, oh, I know how people act, and then you're like, that's nothing right. But then you realize that the person talking about it is so far maybe out of touch. But be that as it may, we'll go with hippies. Uh, so they're, um, so that party is kind of nuts, right? Like, think about this. So you went from having the opening scene, hot open, Dracula gets staked through the chest, he turns to ash. They bury the ash. It's okay. We're hot. We're going, right? And now we get to a party with all these old people just staring at these young people losing their minds. <laughs> yeah, and hey, I've got some fun trivia for you on this scene. Sure. The band is Stoneground, but initially 
who was supposed to be singing was none other than Rod Stewart because he wasn't a big deal oh. yet, and he was with a band called The Faces, and they are who was originally signed, and then something happened, and they replaced him with Stoneground. So there, there's your lost trivia from John LeMay. Oh man, I tell you, that'd have been something. Can you imagine if it was Rod? Yeah. <laughs> that would have been. Yeah, he'd have been like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not me. That's my brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like how um oh. Mm, Text Chainsaw Massacre 4, Generations, how Matthew McConaughey was really proud of it, and then he became real famous and now disowns it, uh-huh. and Renee Zellweger pretends like it's not her, and we're like, Renee, <laughs> we all can tell you can't act. It's yeah. the same non-acting you do now, babe. Yeah. It's just, you know, the first, the first time we, oh, so, this is the problem. We always get on tangents. The first time we ever saw that, I was uh, over my, my my friend's house, and her younger brothers are really into horror movies and whatever. And So we rented it, and I'm like, this is going to be really bad. And they go, how do you know? And my friend, who's a girl, she's like, but Matthew McConaughey's in it. I love him. And Renee Zellweger's in it. I love her. And it just was when it just came out on like VHS, not even DVD, right? And I said, I'm going to tell you this is bad because I've never heard of this movie, and these are two big stars. This was made a long time ago compared to when it came out uh-huh. and when you watch it you're like oh i understand and to, to say Teresa was mad at me and i said i told you not to rent it <laughs> but she's like so mad she goes renee zellweger's so annoying in this whole movie and i'm like yes she is but i don't think it has any different than any other movie like jerry Maguire or anything else but um but matthew mcconaughey for a long time was very proud of it and now he's kind of like eh, i don't know he's, yeah. like i mean you know i guess when you you know when, when you're making commercials for What's what is he? Whatever that those luxury cars that he's driving, because you know he's been, you know, and the cops show up at your house because you're naked playing bongos at three in the morning. You can kind of be a little more selective. Anyway, so uh, Alucard uh, persuades Jessica and the others to attend a black mass ceremony in the now abandoned uh, and deconsecrated Saint Bar uh, Barthos. Bar- Saint Bartos. 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 Saint Bartos. I guess yeah, that's. I'm trying to you know what I'm trying to put the like the the, the like the the other sound back in, but it shouldn't be there because <laughs> there there are letters there that make the sound a little uh-huh. different. Okay, so Saint Bartholomew, uh, where he performs a bloody ritual involving one of the group, Laura Bellows, which of course is the beautiful Carolyn Monroe. Uh, Car- Caroline Monroe. She uh, of course um, we would know we would see her again in uh, Captain Kronos. Uh, you know uh, the uh, the another Hammer movie, and of course she was in many other things, including uh, Sinbad and stuff like that. And um, always great to see her. Uh, it's funny when we cause on the vault we actually talked about uh, Captain Kronos, and when we're talking about you know you kind of like, I mean Captain Kronos is a very different kind of vampire movie because it's you know kind of like a, a swashbuckler at the same time you know so, um, and everyone's like. But, but there's a scene where she's supposed to be naked, but then she was like, I'm not getting naked. And like they had, they were going to just stand in, but there's something else that was all about like placing her hair properly uh-huh. to cover her chest. And I'm like, I'm just saying is, um, I get it. I understand. I understand all those things, but then it's so funny because then we'll do like the next time out, we would do a movie like night of the demons and Leona Quigley's like, get naked done. You know, kind of thing. Like, put a lipstick in my boob. Okay, you know, kind of thing. So, which is actually is in Night of the Demons, folks. For those of you who have never seen it. All right. So, um, so during the Black Mass, um, obviously, you know, all living heck breaks loose. Now, they're playing that record, uh, or not record. It's the recording. Um, from what I was reading, that's an actual recording, an actual song. I don't, I don't have it right in front of me, but. 
that was something that actually was like real. Like it wasn't just made up for the movie, which seems kind of weird. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember where I saw that. I was reading something about it previously before we got on, and I was like, huh. Like I would think you just make that up. But obviously they were like, it probably was easier for them to go get something that actually existed and just play it. You know? Uh, where are we? So, uh, okay. So Jessica and the others flee in horror after, uh, after which Dracula is resurrected and kills Laura. Uh, Laura's body is discovered, drained of blood, and the police investigation begins, uh, which is headed by Inspector Murray, which is Michael Coles. All right, so your inspector here, um, he's, I want, he wants to believe, like, that's the best part about, I think one of the better parts about um, his character is that he's willing to buy, he, he doesn't want to believe that there's vampires, and later on, you know, it becomes kind of obvious there they are, but he's willing to, like, look, I'm willing to take your word for it, but I just can't tell that to my superiors. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so funny because how many movies uh, where, you know, it's like the police are like, that's crazy. That can't be the case. And even though it's like right in front of them, right? You know, there's no giant monster in front of me and it's standing right in front of them. You know, (laughs) I love that he's actually willing to accept, you know, that like eventually like, okay, this could totally happen. And then when he accepts it, he's like, all right, what do we got to do? We got to do this. Okay. Although there are some interesting ways to kill vampires in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Murray suspects an occult element and interviews uh, uh, Lorimer, uh, who is shocked to learn the details of Laura's death. Uh, He realizes that Alucard, whose name is Dracula written backwards. Now, okay, let's just stop there for a second. (laughs) I understand that, like, maybe some people didn't get that. But I'm wondering how many members of the audience, like, didn't get it back in 1972. Uh-huh. Because Alucard has been used throughout, like, it was definitely used in the Universal movies at some point. Right? Wasn't it son like of, he's Count Alucard? It was, yeah, in Son of Dracula, they used it. Right. And, 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 no, I'm trying to get to And it's not in, he doesn't call himself Alucard in, uh, in Evan Costello, Me Frankenstein. He uses a different name. Um, yeah. but yeah, like, but I'm saying is that's been around for a little bit. So I'm like, okay, so I, but I'm wondering if maybe people didn't get it at first. Cause as soon as they said his last name's Alucard, I'm like, are you, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Like, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it took them a little while in monster squad. He had to figure that out too. When, uh, you know, he's getting the phone call looking for their, for Van Helsing's diary. So, oh, <laughs> uh, where were we? Okay. So, uh, where are we here? Okay, so disciple of Dracula. Okay. Uh, okay, so is it a, okay? So he realizes that Alucard is a disciple of Dracula, and that the Count must have returned. Meanwhile, Alucard brings another of Jessica's friends, who uh, Gaynor Keating, who's played by Marcia Hunt, back to the church, where she is killed by Dracula, and uh, Alucard volunteers to become a vampire. Okay, so what happened right before that is he they go back to the that's when they're meeting up and they they're trying to say that Laura. Um, it went back well, when she went home to try to like get money from her parents. And it's kind of like, you can already see that they kind of don't necessarily trust this guy because no one's ever, uh, they don't really trust Alucard because he's kind of new to the group, but they're like, Oh, whatever, man. Like, you know, cause you know, I mean, he must have the good weed or whatever it might be that they're all into yeah. because they kind of are willing to buy, like, you know, he has, he has, whenever someone has an answer for everything, like the second you ask it, it seems really fishy. You know what I'm saying? Like, even in, like, real life, that happens. <laughs> the person who can explain everything away magically, you're like, oh, I don't know about this guy, you know? Um, 
And then they, so he takes, uh, you know, they, they go back to his apartment and that's where he starts, uh, he takes, uh, Gaynor back to the apartment where she kind of is drugged. And then they go, then, and then they end up in the church, uh, where she's killed. Uh, and then of course, Alucard, uh, volunteers become a vampire. Um, these scenes are, I don't want to say, it's just kind of, I don't say weird, but like he's, he's kind of commanding Dracula what to do. And Dracula's like, you don't command anything. Like, it's just so funny to, the, to, to think this, like, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to remember in any of the other hammer, like period ones where you would have someone demanding of Dracula to do anything. And this guy is speaking to Dracula, like he's his lackey. Right, like, yeah. oh, you work for me, buddy. Like, oh, Jason, I have like an interesting take on that. Sure, so, sure. So, like, the old films were always set in the Victorian era, you know, and in the Victorian era, children were, were very prim and proper. Um, they they had the concept of you know respecting the parents and doing whatever they say, and same with like masters and servants. She would never question the master, but you know, Johnny Alucard, he's a child of the seventies. He's probably he looks like he's rich. He's he's probably spoiled. I, I would say Johnny Alucard is like a grown-up spoiled brat who's used to getting his way. And and what's funny is, um, he does like you said, he gets his way with Dracula. He just bites him and gives him what he wants. And to me, it's it's almost like a funny little commentary, whether they intended it to be or not, of how like children over the years lost respect for their parents. So that's how I look at that scene and, and how Johnny Alucard just gets what he wants because it's a different era. Yeah. Well, and and as a dad watching the scene, I can just feel Dracula like, all right, already enough, yeah. you know, kind of thing. It's 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 the you know the the meme that goes around. Uh, it wasn't until I was a parent when I understand why Yoda just dropped dead from Luke asking all yeah, the questions. You know, kind of like, so but it's true. It's like because he because he he demands it of him the first time, and he says, you know, Dracula's no. He keeps demanding it of him. And I'm like, and. I think that strikes, and again, it makes perfect sense, and exactly what you said makes perfect sense there, but I think it strikes weird in a Hammer movie, you know what I'm saying? Because at some point, you're still like, well, where are the where are the women wearing the, you know, the brassiers that are all falling out, and where's the, what? like, well, we, it's all those things, because we have so many years of Hammer movies where they're, and I'm not saying formulaic, but they have a lot of the same uh, tropes in them, right, you know, kind of thing, like, ill-fitting tops and like you know uh, plunging necklines and like people who are afraid and you know and what you know like an innkeeper and whatever you know those things are so this movie is completely divorced of all that stuff which is why i think also too this movie and satanic rights this did the follow-up are kind of looked at as their own little series of movies um, the same way that like legend of the seven golden vampires is looked at as its own separate thing even though there's an Air quotes to the mic, ladies and gentlemen. Dracula in that movie—it's not—it's not Christopher Lee. It's someone trying to look like Christopher Lee. Um, I think what you get there is, you know, these movies that are kind of outside of Hammer's uh, wheelhouse, and sometimes that's not comfortable for people. You know, um, I'm trying to think what's the Frankenstein that's like that? Is it Monster? Horror of Frankenstein had Ralph Bates. Horror of Frankenstein. Right, right. Okay, yeah, but but it, but it, it that, Horror of Frankenstein and then Monster from Hell. Right, where they're in the asylum. Yeah. Right, it, where Frankenstein it fits, is like a. It fits with the continuity, though. Monster from Hell. It it doesn't really contradict anything. It, it's evil of Frankenstein that contradicts the Frankenstein continuity really, really bad. Right, evil of Frankenstein is the one in the mountains, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. On well, Monster from Hell, people were upset because of the what he looks like. He looks like a gorilla. Mm-hmm. 
That was what upset people. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Monster from Hell is the, uh, is the one he looks like a gorilla, and then Evil of Frankenstein. All right, because I so I painted both of those models, so I was watching both the movies. That's what happens oh, when you start painting. Cool. You have to, you know, you got to work on them. Yeah. But the one um, Evil of Frankenstein's one with the more squarish head. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yes. Um, and that one definitely doesn't fit. <laughs> I mean, it fits ish, but it doesn't fit. You know what I'm saying? But not nearly like these stand out. Yeah. You well, know, I, I would say I that these. To, I have to say something now because this is hmm? so cool and it's not uh, not a lot of people know it. But, you know, Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula were produced back to back together uh, as a double bill for EMI because they wanted a Frankenstein and a Dracula. And actually, right. they did not think Christopher Lee would come back, and uh, John Forbes Robertson, who played Dracula in Seven Golden Vampires, was actually approached for Scars. And then they found oh. out that Lee would come back. So so Scars initially was going to be just like Horror Frankenstein and set in its own alternate timeline. So, Huh. I... I... Folks, I 100% had no idea about that. <laughs> That's awesome, though. And you know what, though? If you think about it, it makes sense because the, the reality is this. And because we've talked about this, I mean, you know, just the we, you and I talked about this with King Kong, where we talked about King Kong Lives. There are people who have never seen King Kong Lives, right? But they know who King Kong is, right? They may never have seen 33 King Kong or even whatever. But King Kong is a is a concept bigger than the character of Kong, right? Dracula even if you've never read Dracula, you know, the actual, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know who Dracula is. Now, whoever you might picture Dracula in your head might be has a lot to do with who you grow up watching, who you like and whatever, or Frankenstein's monster. So, um, and you know this because you, you actually helped contribute to Haley's uh, paper on Frankenstein. Um, when Haley presented that to school, she went into class and I told her, don't go first, don't go last, go in the middle. This way everyone kind of sees what like a real paper looks like and like how hard work actually pays off. So she actually got up in front of the room and she had, she goes, I'm going to put the presentation up here, but she gave everyone a piece of paper and a pencil and to take your pencil, draw what you think Frankenstein's monster looks like while I get everything set up. So the teacher's like, what are you doing? She's like, just trust me. She went and set everything up, did her whole presentation, you know, the the stuff from you and Ebony and John LeMay and like, you know, kind of thing, right? All this whole presentation when she goes, when she's done, she goes, and now everyone look at your picture of Frankenstein. Does he have bolts in his neck? Does he have a squarish off head? Does he have greenish skin? And every single kid, all 20 plus of them, all had similar pictures. Mm -hmm. Because that's in their head what Frankenstein's monster looks like. Because Frankenstein's monster, again, the concept of what it is, is bigger than Boris Koloff. It's bigger than Peter Peter Cushing. It's bigger bigger than Christopher Lee. It's bigger than the people who were in the movies. And it's bigger than Mary Shelley's book. And it's bigger than that, right? It's just so funny, though, which characters that happens to. You know, like, how can something get so much bigger than life? And Dracula, Frankenstein, like those things all exist bigger than anything that any one person or number of people could ever do, you know? So just as an aside there, but, you know, I kind of think, but yeah, but that's so cool. I mean, again, and that makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Scars of Dracula could totally have been a standalone movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, any one of them could technically be a standalone movie if you change it like a piece around, but some are much easier. Scars of Dracula definitely fits in that category um all right so where were we uh so so they killed the lady okay the vampiric alucard kills a passerby and then lures jessica boyfriend bob who's played by philip miller to a cafe they frequent where he turns him into a vampire as well so 
before we go on here, one second. This is, I think, where some people, um, and I don't have this. I'm going to put this delicately. So, in vamp in vampire movies, if a male vampire bites a woman, that's okay for most people. If a female vampire bites a man, that's okay for most people. If a female vampire bites a female, that's okay for most people. But some people, not me, but some people, find male vampire a male vampire biting a male sometimes to be a little a bridge too far, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, but what's funny is like so many of the older movies actually did that all the time. I think a lot of the I think Son of Dracula he might have bitten more men than women. And mm-hmm. that vampire western Curse of the Undead, it's the same thing. He he bites more men than women. So I I've never really understood how they, they attach you know, the vampires just feeding, so I don't see why they, they always have to attach a sexual connotation to it, because, like, it's food for the vampire. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a, a sexual act. So I think people definitely uh, take that a little too far. And I think the thing is what, uh, and, and, and again, that's, that's what I'm saying, is to me, I always looked at it, I think the issue becomes the the idea of this, like, okay, so Bell Lugosi, when he's, you know, creeping in the window and he's coming up on the woman who's now she's wearing all white of course in bed her neck is out it's it's all that that sexual connotation that can be seen there but it does not have to be i think what happened was move again there are movies in the 80s which uh i'm thinking like lost boys i'm thinking like near dark like those those vampire movies whether it's so funny those two movies are released right next right on top of each other basically and everyone remembers Lost Boys, and a lot of people don't remember Near Dark. And yet, to me, I think Near Dark's the better movie. But be that as it may, you know what I'm saying? Those movies kind of explored some of that, too. But then we were getting into the idea into the late 80s of AIDS and stuff like that and the transfer of blood. And it was all that other stuff that all of a sudden uh, vampire movies took on. And I think it was an interview with a vampire, right? That's the one with um, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Yeah. You know, and whether you like that movie or not, folks, like that's up to you. I mean, I don't know necessarily that I love Tom Cruise in that role, but that's fine. As you know, um, I thought Brad Pitt was really good. I thought, uh, um, oh, I forgot her name. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Thank you. I thought she was outstanding in the in the role. Uh, but I think some of that though plays into those ideas too, because now it's a child, and now it's whatever. And again, they're pushing those boundaries. But I think people were kind of ready for it. I don't know how ready some people are to even accept these things because the stuff that happened in the in the universals in the in the 30s and 40s and a lot of that when you look at vampire stuff that happens into the 50s and 60s there's not a lot of that you know guy you know it's not male on male we saw some of that in um, Blackula I don't know how well versed you are in Blackula but seen it recently, we were, I mean yeah the past year. Mm-hmm. Because they they were showing it like crazy during the pandemic, and Haley and I watched it a couple of times. But there's scenes in there where, um, but the thing is that then you have a, a you know a homosexual man, and it's like okay, but is it really? And he's just feeding. There's there's no, there's nothing. There's no sexual orient uh, orientation or sexuality to the whole thing. It's just so funny how those things some people get so hung up on. Uh-huh. But anyway, I just want to throw it out there because that scene when I said it, I'm like I bet some people got really mad in 1972, and then some people are like who cares. Right. Because if you think about it nowadays, vampire movies, I mean, you get your your you get your sparkly vampires, which we won't mention. But I don't know if I'm 600 years old, if I'm going to enroll at a local high school. But, um, 
you know, to me, the, mo- the like, one of the best modern vampire takes is 30 Days a Night. You know, where it's just animalistic, carnage. Like, that is just vampires like like for what they are they're animals they're 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 sad they're apex predators you know not necessarily guys who are in capes you know doing whatever you know but it's just funny though how some how different different things lead different places and again it, whatever whatever i mean again people might feel like well then i'm off base on what i'm saying but it's okay like i, I i've been said i'm wrong before it's not the end of the world but <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, uh, where are we? So he turns Bob into a vampire. Okay, so while Van Helsing is out, Bob goes to Van Helsing's house and persuades Jessica to come to the cafe where he and Alucard capture her and take her to Dracula. Okay, aided by... Now, uh, before we get to this, Peter Cushing is running around the streets doing this. Now, obviously, those are real streets in London, right? Now, whether they were closed or not or whatever, Peter Cushing is no spring chicken in 1972, and he is running around. <laughs> He's out of breath in one scene. I'm like, I bet he is. I bet Pete is out of breath right yeah. now. <laughs> I love, those are some of my favorite scenes for some reason, though. I, I think it's the music. I love the score, and oh, I think yeah. it really complements it. Yeah. And the score is compl- could not be any more different than the previous Dracula movies in this series. Oh, yeah. And speaking of the Cushing's age, it, it's worth throwing mm-hmm. out there that... So originally, when they first wrote this movie... Uh, Jessica was going to be his daughter, not his granddaughter. But I mm-hmm. think after they were, they were done writing it, is around the time that Helen Cushing, his wife, passed away, and he was right. so grief stricken that it, it actually kind of aged him really bad overnight. And once they saw him, they decided he now looks too old uh, compared to like a year ago when, when we wrote this. He looks too old, so we're going to change her to his granddaughter. So that's why uh, we don't know who Jessica's parents are, or why she lives with her, her granddad. So. Just kind mm-hmm. of an interesting tidbit to throw in while yeah. we're talking about his age. I mean, because you think about it, this is seven. So this was filmed seventy-one for a seventy-two release. Star Wars was what filmed in like seventy-five, seventy-six in that range, right? Kind of thing, yeah. you know, kind of thing to come out. So it's not like Cushing was like, you know, decades older when he played Grand Moff Tarkin. And even there, you can see he's showing his age. And again, I get it. I mean, it's it's you know. Losing losing a losing a spouse is is devastating, and I, I'm not, not trying to downplay that, but I'm saying, but Cushing himself, when like when he was younger, I mean, like in the in the early 50s and stuff like that, you know, he's spry jumping around. But this is that's 20 years after that, and I think any of us can say 20 years later that like what I was doing 20 years ago, I can't do now. Just throwing it out there, like unless it's math, math I can still do, but like you want me to go run like I used to run 20 years ago, that ain't happening, you know, kind of thing. So. Um, anyway, where were we? Okay, so they've now captured her. So, okay, so aided by Jessica's friend, uh, Van Helsing tracks Alucard to his flat and they battle. Alucard actually kills himself with the running water in the bathroom shower. Okay, so this is the point uh, where I said there are some weird ways to kill vampires in this movie. This is it. Um, I love that uh, uh, when he throws the with the Bible with the rosary wrapped around it into the coffin so he can't get in, which is a great idea. And then to use the, the mirror to, to kind of keep shining the light on him so it's burning him. Um, but I don't know. Like, I understand that that's part of the lore, especially uh, Hammer has used that lore for the running water can kill vampires. Is is it really running water if it's coming out of the shower? So I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but I can honestly say this. They used it again in Satanic Rites. Right? Isn't that yeah. when they're in the basement or something? Yeah, and they just... Yeah, the sprinkler's on. Right. And I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, technically, I guess it's running water. But um, I don't know. I... I, I, I what is, my brother always says, modern solution for modern problems. That's what it is, right? You know, there's not going to be a brook in the middle of the road. Yeah. So just turn the faucet on. And you so. bring up a really good point, though, because why bother to bless the holy water if regular water will kill them? Just, I guess holy water burns them, and regular water yeah. just, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't well, matter, I guess. It burned them pretty good in there, and then it stopped burning them. It just killed yeah. them. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's one of those things that, you know, but, but it's, it's the things, it's hard, it's hard to say this, the, the pieces that are unique to this film, um, things like that, like the idea of the running water and all this, those unique pieces are what make this film what it is, right? Uh, some movies are all about the sizzle and not the steak, you know what I'm saying? Uh, perfect example. Um, uh, when Dad and I, Dad and I are covering uh, Kong 76 in uh, in September, um, that is a movie that is all sizzle and no steak, right? And I know you don't ha- you, you don't always agree with me, John, on that, but I'm just saying if that movie had a lot of sizzle, like there was like, oh my God, like this is gonna be it, guys, uh-huh. right? And so there's movies like that, but some movies, um, you know, that are you you watch and you're going, wow, this may not be my favorite movie, but it's not boring, which is the worst thing a movie can be. There's nothing worse a movie can be than boring. Don't be boring. Be different. Be crazy. Be wild. Be whatever. You could be Birdemic. I don't know if you've ever seen Birdemic. I'm familiar with it. I haven't seen it. Okay, but you know what I'm talking uh-huh. about, right? It, it's it's unwatchable without the riff track over the top of it. Like, it is that yeah. bad. But you know what, though? When you're watching this going, it's a, I mean, it's a train wreck. You can't look away, but you're like, okay, that was idiotic, moronic. I feel dumber having watched it. But you know what? Okay. You know, it was. It's not a good movie by any stretch of imagination, but it wasn't boring. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely asinine beyond belief, but it's not boring. So, but that's what I think sometimes happens when you people watch a movie and they're like, "Oh, I don't like this movie because it's not. It doesn't fit into the what I want this movie to be." This movie, uh, this film especially, and even Satanic writes later, they were trying something different. Now, it didn't work the way they were hoping. They were hoping to maybe they were hoping to kind of like have a uh, you know a big groundswell. People like, oh, modern day Dracula, let's do this, right? It didn't work that way, but it still was really something different and out there. And you know, and if it is the running water here or the the soundtrack, like you said, which is completely you know fits the movie perfectly. The movie, this movie fits perfectly with this soundtrack, you know, that alone sometimes I think people, people sometimes get blinders on and they just don't want to see the the stuff that works in a film because they're like, well, I don't like this. And I, and and to be very honest with you, um, when dad and I, when we, when we talk about Kong 76, we are actually very complimentary of the movie on many different aspects because there's a lot of stuff in there that's really good. At the end of the day, it's not a movie necessarily that any whatever you know kind of thing. It's but it's like anything else. It's like when you and I watch Kong, uh, King Kong Lives. There are some really good aspects of that movie, but there's some things, in my opinion, things fall short, and that's okay. But it's not like I'm dismissing it out of hand. Like it's the worst piece of garbage I've ever seen in my entire life, you know. And I think sometimes people get it's all or nothings. The all or nothings bother me because life isn't all or nothing all the time, you know. So anyway. Uh, so now we are, 
Um, he's Johnny Alucard is now in the, now I love when the inspector shows up and they look in the bathtub. So the guy, so, um, the actor who's playing Johnny Alucard, he's clearly holding his breath, but his nose is out of the water a little bit (laughs) because if he moves, you'll see any air bubbles, but he's got to be dead. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, they, so now back at the church, uh, Van Helsing finds Bob's dead body slain by the sunlight before he could reach his resting place. And Jessica's in a trance with Dracula planning to take his revenge on Van Helsing's family by turning her into a vampire. Uh, Van Helsing sets a trap for Dracula by placing a pit of spikes underneath the graveyard and waits for him to return at nightfall. Um, so the, in the church, the two have a struggle uh, in which uh, Van Helsing attempts to kill Dracula with a silver knife. But Jessica pulls the knife out of Dracula um, after he falls off of the... Uh, the the chorus the the uh, the choral um, staging in the church, so I loved that he pulls out the silver knife to stab him. Like it makes perfect sense. We know that you know vampires can't handle silver, but like I'm trying to remember another time when we saw a sil. Now I guess what do you call it? in Cronus the vampire and, and Captain Cronus doesn't he he cuts him with the sword because the sword is made of silver, right? I think so. I'm trying to remember, I think so. Uh, it's been it's been uh, we we reviewed that a little while ago, so it's been a few months or it's been maybe a year or two since I've seen it. But I love that idea, and it's like it seems like that would be such a natural idea to have, even back in Victorian times. Yeah. Just to have a, di- a knife or a dagger made of silver to stick a vampire with. But I don't remember it ever coming up in any other Dracula movie. At least if it did, it wasn't a main point. But I thought it was a great little nod here, making perfect sense, of course. Uh, and I've, so now Jessica, of course, can pull it out because she's not turned. Um, that's when they 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 they, reach, they fight to the outside. Van Helsing throws holy water at Dracula, which burns his hands and causes him to fall into the pit of uh, stakes. Realizing that Dracula is still barely alive, Van Helsing uses a shovel to push Dracula into the stakes even further. Dracula dies. His body crumbles to ash, and Jessica's spell is broken. Um, as Jessica embraces her grandfather, the title "Rest in Final Peace" is shown, obviously in uh, what, what is it, Latin or whatever's on there, right? Yeah. So, the 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 as you said, the climax of this movie does not live up to the opening of this no. movie. Um, it's not a bad idea to think like, well, I'll get Dracula out here and we'll just get him to fall into this pit of stakes and that'll work. Yeah, it just. I don't know. It seems anticlimactic. Like it's, it doesn't yeah, seem like this it's is kind of undignified yeah. too. How he falls in face first, and the cape's kind of tossed up over his, you know, his butt. You you don't usually see Dracula like that. You know, I, I feel yeah. like it was a indignant end for the for you know that type of a villain. Now, do you think part of that might be trying to try to throw this because this is this movie is so different in the grand scheme of what we have by way of the other Dracula movies? Do you think maybe that was done on purpose? Oh, well, could be. I'd never thought of it that way. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see how that helps. Uh, you know, kind of thing. I don't see how that helps the movie to try to make Dracula look not like a fool, but kind of more foolish than you would normally have Dracula die. I mean, let's be honest. Dracula has died in some spectacular fashion in this series, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, especially like when they shoot the ice out and the ice slipping under, or when he gets impaled on the cross. Like, there are some awesome ways that they've killed Dracula. This one kind of seems like, eh, you know? Yeah, so, I, you know, I, Anthony Hines always said he put extra thought into how he would kill Dracula, so it would be, you know, really 
bombastic and over the top. And I feel like with this movie, they felt like, well, we've already got our hook in the fact that Dracula is in modern times, so we can just stake him, you know, this time. I think this is the first movie where he dies via a regular type of stake through the heart, kind of. I think so. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, because I'm trying to think, yeah, because he doesn't, yeah, there's no other time where he's staked like that. Where Dracula stayed. Like other people are staked, yeah. but he's never. Yeah. And the thing is, I think, too, though, uh, maybe some of it was, I guess it might have been hard to figure how you're going to do the, like, the, the, because the carriage wheel thing in the beginning is so cool, yeah. but that wouldn't fit at all here. Like, you know what I'm saying? Unless there yeah. was, like, an old broken down carriage, which would make sense in a, in a church graveyard, or I don't know. So, be it as it may. Anyway, folks, so, the idea, though, is, and some of you are saying, this sounds like a really weird Dracula movie. It is. It is very different than any other Hammer Dracula movie up to this point. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's not good. It just means it's different. It's not my favorite. I'll be very honest with you. I don't love this one as much as I love some of the other ones. I mean, I think we can just take Horror of Dracula out of the running because that, to me, is my favorite Dracula movie of all time. But, like... I, you know, some of the other sequels I thought had some better pieces into it. Not to say they're perfect, because trust me, there's plenty of times in the other ones you're like, come on, like, you know, you just want to turn up the IQ sometimes on some of the, the village people, because they are not the village people with the YMCA, but the village people in the village. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a different movie right there. Can you imagine that one? That's the third sequel you didn't get, Dracula at the <laughs> YMCA. Uh, <laughs> and you had 1972. You had Satanic Rites. Now Dracula's at the YMCA. Oh, um, oh hold on. Don, Don okay. Hutton that you talked about earlier, uh, the writer of this movie, did write for Hammer some sort of treatment called Dracula on Ice, which was to be a, a Hammer rock Dracula musical that they very quickly passed on. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Folks, the, the, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I love having John on, but he hits you with things sometimes that there's no way I would ever have known that. And it sounds so insane that you know it has to be 100% like, yes. oh, yeah, they definitely <laughs> do. Like, because you, it's it's not like, where would you, that just, that's insane. Could you, uh, they they passed on a number of ideas over the years that you're like, oh, what is it? It's, um, oh, what is it? Um. Pterodactyls versus uh, yeah, Zeppelins. Zeppelins and stuff like that. You're like, oh, that could have been cool. Or like Nessie, of course, which never happened, unfortunately. Or things like that. And you're like, oh, that would have been cool. That would have been cool. This is when you're like, oh, man, they got that one right. You know, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, could it, would it have, could it have been any, I don't know, could it have been campier than uh, Love at First Bite? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. <laughs> the only Dracula ever with a tan. Yeah. You know, kind of <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, folks, this movie is definitely, it's, it's a different kind of film. It's certainly not, it's not, uh, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I'm going to be honest with you there. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Um, when it came out, it did not get great reviews. I mean, some were, were more favorable than others. Um, but the problem is they, they said it was, the complaints were, they, the, they were, they, they tried to take, modern-day Chelsea and stick Dracula in it, but they didn't update Dracula enough for that. And that's one of the complaints that was in several different uh, people have said, that's what uh, reviewers have said. It just, you can't take Dracula and put him in current day unless he's going to kind of be up to date. 
And I think part of the problem is, and I don't know when the last time you saw this movie, the, either one of them, the Count Yorga movies, do you remember those? No, I haven't seen it. I need to. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Luke and I reviewed Count Yorga, and when you watch Count Yorga, he's very much still a vampire, but he's like, I understand what's happening in the modern world. This movie, you have Dracula, who again, there's no way he could have, you know, he's not like he's lived the whole time. He's been dead. He's been, he's been ashes buried next to Van Helsing in the ground in the, in the graveyard, right? Um, so he's now in modern day, yet still portraying Dracula the way he was 100 years ago. So, I, again, be that as it may, I mean, I, that's, that is the, the comparisons between um, 72 a, uh, Satanic Rites and then both Count Yorga movies has, it's, it's, it's inevitable because they're literally modern day vampire movies all made within the same, uh, right around the same amount of time. Um, those, those, those comparisons always happen. To me, the the Yorga movies are very different in that they are truly vampire movies, but it's it's a vampire who has lived his he's lived all the way up to the 1970s, so he knows what's happened in that time. Whereas this one, Dracula's dead, comes back to life. Now he's alive again in Satanic Rites, which takes place what two years or some years later, right? And even there, now it's not Dracula. I'm going to get my revenge on Van Helsing. He wants to destroy the world. You know, kind of thing. It's like, okay, like it's just. I think sometimes when you when you try to shoehorn things in, and, and I don't mean that, and I don't mean as negative a connotation maybe as that sounds. But when you try to like kind of fit things in places, they don't always fit as well. So sometimes you kind of like kind of have to you know sand the edges to kind of make them fit a little better. Yeah, what and I, I don't what know. Safer rights though. While, while we mention it though, I feel mm-hmm. like it did it better just because it gave you know Dracula needs a castle to be Dracula mm-hmm. instead of a castle he has a skyscraper which I think is very fitting and very cool mm-hmm. so oh I th- yeah I think I think the Satan I'm going to say the difference in this movie his goal is to get revenge on Van Helsing that's what he's trying to do yeah. in Satanic Rites he's like alright we're going to kill the world <laughs> like he went from just like okay look I'm mad at this guy to like I'm mad at everybody you know kind of thing um, and and you know what thing with Satanic rites and again for those of you we keep mentioning uh, the Satanic rites of Dracula if you are going to watch it please watch the full version not the alpha video like 20 minutes truncated down <laughs> got nothing on it it it's barely a feature movie when they when they cut that thing way way down on the alpha video the old did old alpha, old did, did alpha video cut most of the opening or what was it they cut. They cut a ton of it. The whole movie's like cut to ribbons. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, it's not even called. It's not even called Satanic Rites of Dracula. It's called like Dracula and his Vampire Brides, or they renamed it. It was like they cut it. They cut a ton of stuff out. So anything there's like there's no blood. There's no like chance of any nudity. There's no chance of whatever. And they cut scenes. So when you're watching it, you're like, wait, what happened? Like, huh? You know, kind of thing. Like, did did I miss something? Did I fall asleep? And it, like the movie just got kind of shorter and shorter and kind of truncated down. So then there was a release of Satanic Rites of Dracula that I think, I don't know if it was Alpha put it out, but someone else put it out that restored everything. And people were like, oh, and it was still a budget, very dark pan and scan DVD. And people were like, oh my God, they've restored it all. But it looked like garbage. I mean, it looked like utter garbage. <laughs> You're like trying to watch it. It's like trying to watch it through a pair of pantyhose, you know, kind of thing. Um and then now they've re- restored it and repaired everything. I'm, again, I, I only know that because I knew 
when we, when it was coming out, I'm like, oh, this is the Saint Anchorage of Dracula. We got to get this, and this is this is in the beginning of DVD, right? This is this is a long, long time ago. This is like late '90s, kind of like when DVDs were still like the hot new thing, right? People, you would read on like message boards because that's how we got information back then, right? Uh, you know, people like the, the movie's shorter. This is all cut. I don't, I don't have it all right in front of me, but yeah, it's just kind of funny how that stuff was all cut down. And I don't know how long that ran, that run lasted. You know, the actual cut down DVDs. I don't know how long they ran those out, but I know that they were notorious for um, super, super cheap. So uh, I don't know if you. Can, this, this is going back. So like places like Saturday matinee. And like FYE, you know what I'm talking about? Like at the mall kind of video stores. They would have that section of like value DVDs. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, really really cheap ones. Yeah, like $1.99, $2.99. They would be in there sometimes. Now, there were cuts of that. Now, again, they might have come out and fixed the cut. Once they put the other cut out, they might have just had the... It might have been the the full cut back in the the, the cheaper case. Because... That's just what it was. I, I, I actually do not own the Alpha Video cut one. I just, because I knew not to buy it, because it was supposedly horrible. Anyway, but Satanic Rights is just like this one in that it's part of the Warner, the Warner, excuse me, Warner collection series. So you, you, it's like the, it's not print on demand, but it's one of the ones you can't just walk in. Well, you can't really walk in any store and buy a DVD anymore, but you have to order it like right from Amazon or something like that. Um and it does, it definitely is a modern day, uh, you know, another modern day Dra- uh, Dracula movie. So, um, yeah. So, folks, uh, you know, again, I wasn't alive in 1972 to see this. John, you weren't alive back then either. Oh. Uh, you got to think, right? <laughs> we, we're, we're all, we're too, it's rare that I can say I'm too young for things sometimes, <laughs> but I am definitely too young to have been for here. Um, but, you know, did you see Dracula 72? You know, did you see this as part of some uh, drive-in double feature or something like that? Who knows? I mean, you know, all kinds of stuff happened back in the 70s, you know, even be- even though I wasn't there, you know, kind of thing. Um, the, uh, you know, if if you've seen this and, you know, hey, you're like, oh, I've never seen this in the theater. Let's hear from you. Send feedback in. I'll share it with John, of course, um, and we can make sure we talk, we talk about that. Um the, the other thing is, too, if you've never seen it and now you watch it and you're like, oh, my God, this was amazing. Let's hear that, too. Or, you know, because, again, one of the great things about this show is that Dad and I and Luke and I and obviously you and I, John, we touch on um, lots of different different f- films. You know, we're not just doing movies from the 50s or movies from the 60s, you know, or uh, I mean, they are all B movies. But let's be very honest. Sometimes our definition of B movie uh, gets a little wider than others. I think you can agree with that, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, people, you know, I mean, we, we touch on like straight up horror, we, we touch on fantasy, we touch on adventure, we touch on whatever, and we touch on movies that maybe had a lot bigger budget and a lot smaller budget. So, um, you know, we love to hear from people on this stuff. So, uh, let me just look real quick here. It says, okay, um, the Blu-ray, okay, yeah, so the Blu-ray was released in 2018 as part of the Warner Archive Collection. I knew I had to find that there. Uh, the other thing is... Um, this movie actually, Tim Burton claimed that this was one of his favorite films, right? So the yeah, uh, Tim Burton I, I from, watched, of course, I you know. I watched the video of him talk about that. What's funny is everything he said was exactly what I felt because he he loved the panning shot from the tombstone up into the sky and there's the jet plane, and I love that as well. And, and it, this is actually, it's tough for me to say what my favorite Hammer Dracula is, but this one was my favorite at one time, and it's 
Uh, definitely still one of my top two favorites. It's just hard for me to decide what's really my favorite, believe it or not. Yeah, no, I I understand. The, the thing is, uh, as a child who grew up watching Universal, because my, my, my dad had show, we were watching Universal horror movies literally before we could probably even, like, you know, we were out of diapers kind of thing, you know what I'm saying? Um, to me, when I was younger, Dracula was Bela Lugosi, and still that, that, that classic look of Bela Lugosi as Dracula sticks with me. But as soon as I saw Horror of Dracula... And Christopher Lee is Dracula. I'm like, oh my god, no, that's what Dracula looks like. Yeah. And because that's a dude, you know, kind of thing. Like, Bella again, no, no disrespect to Bella Lugosi, but he was a smaller gentleman. You know what I'm saying? Like, he he didn't he doesn't he's not as Christopher Lee when he when he when he steps into the door in Horror of Dracula, he fills the door. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's what it should look like. Dracula should be a presence. Um, and and again, that's not a knock on any any people. Could be like, oh, I love okay. And some people will swear that their Dracula is uh, Frank Langella, and some people will like, you know, whoever, like, you know, whoever your Dracula is, whether it's Judd Hirsch from Dracula Saves Halloween, whatever it might be, which is actually a really good uh, kids thing from back in the 80s. Uh, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, to be very honest with you, to my daughter, um, when she describes Dracula, she's describing uh, literally Monster Squad. Oh, right? Funny. Because yeah. that's, you know, because that's one of the first movies she remembers. She, she's watched Monster Squad. I don't know. I mean, she's she's 10 years old. She's probably seen the movie 40 times, you know? Like, that's crazy. Right? She, but she loves it. She like, It's one of her comfort things. Like, when, she, when she's not feeling good, she'll put Monster Squad on and just kind of watch it and literally do every line in the movie. But that's what Dracula is to her. But that, that Dracula, the Dracula there, it, it is much closer. I mean, again, it looks like Lugosi in the way his hairline is and stuff like that. But let's be honest. He's a big, you know, broad-shouldered Dracula. That's Christopher Lee more than it is Bela Lugosi. Well, to speak to but, Christopher Lee just one more time. Uh, sure. So the, there are these like Graham Stoker purists out there who, who want everything mm -hmm. to be just like the book. Well, Stoker based Dracula not on just on Vlad Tepe's, but he based him on an actor that he helped manage uh, named Henry Irving. And if you put okay. Henry Irving's picture next to Christopher Lee's picture, they're not twins, but they look pretty similar. So Christopher Lee really does look more like Dracula, maybe than any other actor that's ever played him. Huh. Maybe that's why he rings true for so many people. Yeah, I think you know? so. Yeah. So uh, just one last thing to throw out there. Um, uh, now, I did not see, I don't know if you saw it, the 2020 BBC Netflix Dracula miniseries. I didn't no. see it yet. Okay. So supposedly the third episode is itself an homage to the movie taking place in present day. Um, it also references along to many other Hammer Dracula movies as well. I did not see it. I know some people loved it and said you got to see it. Some people are like pass on it. I just haven't had a chance to I watch, watch it. Watch it but, now, that's for sure. Even if it's only yeah. that third episode. <laughs> well, it, you know, it seems like one of those things. And I said this: there, that, that, what's, what's the uh, the old saying? Um, depending on how much money you spend, it's either a ripoff or it's an homage. Yeah. You know, kind of thing, right? <laughs> Um, and you know, and again, to, to but to pay homage to again, it's it's a British, it's a BBC series to pay homage to Hammer. Hammer was so influential. It's so much bigger. It's kind of hard because there are people who don't don't really know Hammer. They don't know the history. They haven't read. Um, oh, what's the book? It's it's. I think it's called the Complete History of History of Hammer or something along those lines. It's I read it years ago, and it talked about like you know, why the movies were made and why they were done in this order and how Christopher Lee didn't want to come back. And that's why Bride of Dracula happened. And, and like all the things that happened in like in the way that like kind of like when they were making 
their non-horror movies. And, you know, like they were making the spy movies and they're making this. And like, and it's one of those things, people don't kind of know that. They just kind of know that Hammer, oh, Hammer, those are those British horror movies. That's like saying, Godzilla, that's that guy in a suit over in Japan. Like, it's so much different than just like that, you know what I'm saying? Like when you don't know that and if and it being dismissive of some people are dismissive of it whereas like if i don't know something like well i don't know i can't speak to it because i don't know you know like if someone asked me to start talking about whatever the topic might be and i don't and i don't know that topic i can't speak to it well you know and if i'm you know want if i need to know about it you kind of learn into it some people just don't want to do that the thing is with hammer is that its influence was seen you know, in many different places, once, especially Curse of, Drac- uh, Curse of Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula, those movies in color <sighs> blew away people, blew them away. You know, they couldn't even, you couldn't even imagine seeing this stuff happen on the screen. So, but, um, yeah. So, like I said, folks, if you've seen it, like, let's love to, we'd love to hear from you about that. Um, you know, if, if you, you know, if whatever it might be, maybe you watched them all. I mean, I've watched all of them in order before. Um, you don't have to watch the Dracula movies in order. You can watch them in any order, really, but you, you kind of watch them in order. Uh, you know, we'd love to hear from that. Now, John, I know you have a project coming up that somehow ties into topically what we're talking about yeah it's great because we didn't plan this it just worked out uh you know let's see in march of 2021 i published classic monsters unmade volume one which uh chronicled mostly universal uh dracula frankenstein mummy movies that you know got scripted but didn't get made or they were alternate versions of uh the ones we did see so i just completed volume two which is covers 1956 up to the year 2000 so Naturally, it's mostly Hammer projects, so if you've ever been curious, uh, you know, about those unmade Hammer Dracula movies, particularly like Cali, Devil Bride of Dracula, or Unquenchable Thirst of Dracula, both of which take place in India but are totally different, unrelated stories, believe it or not, um, that's all in the book. And by the time you're listening to this, it should be out, and if it's not out, it should be out within a couple, uh, few weeks. So again, it's uh, Classic Monsters Unmade Volume 2. Awesome. And I can tell you, folks, uh, having uh, obviously purchased and read the, uh, I mean, I have all your books, uh, but I was looking forward to when we spoke, uh, when we were doing Kong, I was looking forward to the the Universal one because I had actually had read, um, oh, I forgot. It was it was put out, it was, it's Dracula meets the Wolfman, or I forget, or it has a, maybe a different name than that, but it literally was Dracula and the Wolfman coming together. Yeah trying to you know i had read that years ago they had they had done it was just basically was a shooting script or the skeleton of a shooting script or whatever you want to call it you know what i'm saying and they kind of turned it into like a a novella and i was like this is so cool and i was like this would have made a really cool movie because the plan was that they were again it would have been uh you know uh lon cheney jr as as the wolfman um and the talk was trying to get Lugosi back to do it as Dracula, but obviously it was going to be hard depending on the timing. Um, but it was supposed to occur in the time of the, you know, um, it was post, I want to say it was after Ghost of Frankenstein, but like around when Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and like it was right in that time and like before House of Dracula and House of Frankenstein. So it's like in the mid 40s there, but it would have been tough. Lugosi at that time, um, you know, had played Frankenstein and obviously, uh, um, Frank Stein meets the Wolfman, and he was still a player at that time. But to 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 make that movie would have been something. I was like, this is so cool. And that book has tons of stuff in it, folks. Tons of stuff. Uh, I know I, having John on always is great because he can hit you with knowledge that I don't have. 
because to be honest, like he's done the research. Like, you know, he, he spent the time. He's going through doing the research, the stuff that I don't have time to ever possibly do. Um, you've done research on things that I find fascinating oh, and that I you. know. And that, I do just want to credit um, a lot of, like, my research actually comes from people like uh, Philip Riley and Tom Weaver. They're the ones who actually somehow get their hands on these scripts. and they. So if you're interested in, like, Wolfman versus Dracula, it was either Weaver or I think it was Riley – Publish the script in a book so that you can actually read. If you just want to read this great script, script whereas I just kind of read the script and I summarize it, and critique it, and say why I thought it would or wouldn't be a good movie. So I, I did just want to acknowledge them real quick, and also guys like Wayne Kinsey, a big time Hammer researcher, and lots of others. Just wanted to throw their names out there so it's not just a you know about me, you know, because they did a lot of the the footwork, and I just kind of like look at the whole and try to compile it the best that I can into one volume. So. Oh, awesome! Hey, I have I'm all for giving people credit. I did and again, and these are gentlemen that I don't know or would know their names necessarily, right? Kind of thing. So that's important, you know. Kind of thing. We always talk about making sure we're giving credit. I mean, we did that when Dad and I did the King Kong watch along uh, for our 100th episode. Uh, I stole a whole lot of stuff out of your book, yeah. you know, kind of thing about <laughs> oh, like. I, I and don't I'm like, the, <laughs> you don't need to credit me. You're fine to steal whatever. I just, yeah. You know, they those guys have done so much work. I just don't want anybody to ever think that uh, I didn't acknowledge it or didn't, you know, or pretended like I found it on my own. But yeah, yeah, no, no. I, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I mean, I want to give credit where credit's due. And these are, I wouldn't know to do that. I wouldn't know who who you got it from necessarily, unless I was like reading it in, in your book where you would credit them in the book. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have that in front of me to say, oh, it's yeah. from da 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 da. You know. And that, but that's important. Again, and that's one of the things that we do. And I know, um, because people have always, people will ask me sometimes, like, well, you do a podcast, but you don't make any money doing this. And I, we don't, you know, no one's getting paid. You know, there's no, none of that stuff happens here. I mean, we do this because it's a labor of love, right? Kind of thing. We do this because we love these movies. We love entertaining people. We want to, to me, I love, you know, people discovering new movies that they've never seen, whether they're old or new, and they're like, "Oh my God, you were right about this." Or people have said to me, "You're you're full of crap. That movie was horrible." What? <laughs> I don't. That's fine because a discussion can happen, you know. Um, and I think sometimes that's lost, you know, the 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 art of having a discussion and talking about things and sharing that kind of stuff is always fun. But I, I again, like I said, I love having you on. You bring a wealth of knowledge to us here um, that. You know, we wouldn't necessarily have. And to be honest, the movies that you and I cover are, you know, aren't always the same. They don't. They 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 definitely are an eclectic bunch. Best way to put that, you know, kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, the chances of us covering a Hammer movie on here are not always great because we we could we've covered Hammer on the Vault and stuff. But on the Vault, we certainly were going to cover Dracula eighty seventy two. So that makes fits perfectly here, you know, kind of thing. It's, it's kind of different. It's out there. It's got a soundtrack that totally fits the movie, but is not a, a regular ha- Hammer soundtrack. It's modern day, yet it has like old school feel to things. It's a different kind of flick. So, John, I just want to say, uh, um, you know, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, I always appreciate you coming on. I always appreciate you, you know, uh, you know willing to talk movies with me, you know, kind of thing is in the craziness that is our lives trying to line up times to do these things, you know, well, I always have fun. So anytime I, I appreciate it. All right. So John, so be on the folks, be on the lookout for John's new book dropping, uh, you know, uh, the, the volume two of the unmade, uh, the horror movie, uh, cl- classics. Also, um, if you're into, uh, you know, 
Godzilla, Kaiju in general. There's John has a number of lost, uh, you know, Tokusatsu, lost Kaiju. Um, you have the fanzines. I love those fanzines, by the way. Oh, thank you. I've told you that, but I love those because because the thing is they're quick hitters, right? They come in and it's like, oh, okay, and I can start reading that because during the school year my time is very limited, so. It always feels nice to be able to read something and get to the end of something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you feel like you accomplished it. Even even if it's only like 100 pages, you're like, oh, I got it done. But like, you know, some of your some of your books are like, you know, five, six hundred pages long by the time you're, you know, <laughs> and I'm like and I feel like, oh, I'm not reading fast enough, you know, kind of thing. But it, but they're always interesting stuff, um, you know, especially when you touch on, you know, movies that maybe we, we, we touch on here. You know, we've talked all about, I mean, we, Dad and I talk about Jaws all the time um, because of, you know, Jaws being the blockbuster that it was and what helped set up things. And your book, you know, your, the unmade Jaws movies and the unmade Jaws sequels and spinoffs and whatever, there's so much in there that if people are interested in that stuff, folks, go check it out. I mean, it, you can get them right on Amazon. I have hard copies of most of them. I have everyone on the Kindle, so I can bring it to one. Whenever I have my Kindle with me, I can read it. But I have hard copies of the, especially the ones that I'm most interested in, because so then I can just reference real quick and put, you know, uh, you know, mark pages, you know, with my, my bookmarks when I'm doing research and doing stuff like that to get to you guys. So, um, but yeah, folks, so check that stuff out. Uh, of course, any questions you have for myself or John, send them in. I'll pass them along. All right, John, thank you very much for being here, as always. So as we say here, ladies and gentlemen, keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes podcast. I'm the only one using them. 
I'm also on Twitter at Jason Giaconetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, and entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! Will you stop?